back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Justin and Ailish on a Wednesday. Still looking for our first wake and rake victory of the week. So get those submissions in. The game that I picked, though, was a real good game. Didn't go my way, but LeBron, triple-double. What are we going to do Thursday, Friday? I guess we got a Raptors game Friday. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll have to be creative. No pick aside. (laughs) It's a tough week. No pick aside. Yeah, not much to do. We're going to have to get our buddy Jesse Rubinoff on. That's right. A little Super Bowl preview. Anyway, uh, we'll set up the Bruins and the Maple Leafs. We did that actually yesterday with our buddy Mike McKenna, who, you know, he wrote a bit of a controversial article, something that got a bunch of quote tweets and, well, not likes, got ratioed a little bit in the Toronto market because he believes that the Leafs are too soft to win in the postseason. So we made sure that he explained himself when we began our interview with him. Mike, you wrote an article that uh, fired up the nation here, especially in Toronto. Leafs are soft. You know, it's a, it's a big claim to make. We're going to give you the platform to tell us why you think the Maple Leafs are soft. <laughs> well, I'm not going to backpedal from this. I think that there's instances where they really show that. And I don't think it's all the time. I think there's certain plays where you look at it and you just go, man, like, come on, guys, you got to stick up for each other with this. And, and it's not just for one another, it's for yourselves, you know, and I've seen plenty of moments this season where, you know, something happens and they scrum it up. Great. Michael Bunting comes flying in. He'll take care of things, but I still see Austin Matthews back out so many times and it's kind of across the board where it doesn't feel like the Maple Leafs have the heart to always engage. Right. It feels like to me, it's something that they have to force themselves to do is to play something of an aggressive game, to have a big pushback to their game. I don't think that they have an inherent grit and nastiness to them that other teams in the NHL have. I don't think they have the grit and nastiness of a Tampa Bay or even of a Boston at this point. Um, So, you know, that's something that I think that the team really needs to address is that no matter what, you have to be consistent in your approach. You have to be sandpaper to play against. And it just makes me concerned again, going towards the playoffs. You know, this is a great team in Toronto. They can win a Stanley cup. I think they can win a Stanley cup even without going out and having a single fight the rest of the year. It's not what I'm advocating for. My point though, is that they just cannot let teams get in their face and run them. You can't let it happen. If somebody sees it on the ice, you've got to stick up for one another. And again, it's been in flashes, but it just hasn't been consistent this year. I think it's an area that they can improve on, especially if they want to be one of the top dogs headed to the Eastern final, because it's going to be a dog fight to get there. So it's impossible to counter and be like, you know, you're wrong. The, uh, the Leafs are the hardest team to play against in the NHL, or they're one of the hardest teams to play against in the NHL, because that's just not true. But it is worth wondering why or asking you why it matters so much. And I think one question is, are they hard to like, is this a between whistles thing or is it in the play thing? Like if, they're not the nastiest team, but are they the, are they hard to play against between whistles or after whistles or does it matter? Well, to me, it's to me, it's all tied together. You know, I, I look at the way the Maple Leafs track pucks down and how hard they've been this year for a large portion of it, right? They had their hiccups at the beginning of the year. And, and to me, the Maple Leafs have been rolling the last couple months, you know, and I think so much of that has been driven by the hunger of, you know, of Mitch Marner for the puck uh, of players, you know, like a Nylander who's suddenly controlling play this season, like I've never seen before. All of those players really 
you know, elevating their desire to have the puck on their blade, to work for it, to fight for it, to work back to their defensive zone, which has been much better in my eyes as well, to get the puck and turn it over and go the other direction. So, I mean, it is, it is during the play, but it's after as well. And, and you know, you typically want to walk away, skate away from everything after a whistle. You don't want to get caught in the mix. But you also have to see when things happen on the ice that you take care of, right? And a lot of this just came from the bad hit that was laid uh, a couple of weeks ago. I wrote about it in the piece or a week ago now at this point where, you know, you look at, you got Matthews and Bunting. Bunting probably turns his head and doesn't see what happens on the hit. But Lilligan just gets buried on the boards and nobody does anything. It's like, you know, Morner comes over and kind of gives a nice little arm shake. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you got to do a little bit more than that, guys, to just show, hey, we're not going to be pushed around. And uh, I just think that, again, it all ties together. They've been absolutely a thorn in people's side to play against on pucks. They've been difficult in that way. I just think that there can be an added element of intimidation to their game if they choose to play so. Um, before, after, during the whistle. It's just a level of nastiness. Like, you got to be a little bit mean to win in the NHL. Why is that? Why, do you, why, does it, why is this mean or mean-spirited nature, why is that uh, essential for a team to win? Well, look at the Stanley Cup winners of the past couple of years. I mean, Nathan McKinnon's somebody who, to me, that guy is, I wouldn't want to go one-on-one with him in a corner. As bad as he wants the puck, he'll go through you for it. And I think that there's players on the Maple Leafs that do that very well. But I think across the board, you know, that's a team that had a lot of sandpaper, even in in Colorado last year, right? Nazem Kadri, look, look what he did to teams. I don't have to tell Leafs fans about him. Obviously, they're very well at what he brings to a team. Look at the St. Louis Blues when they won, how heavy they were. They came in waves. Think about the Tampa Bay Lightning that did have big-time grit up and down the lineup from the decor to the forwards, whether you're talking about the Coleman's or you're, or, or even bringing in Pat Maroon and having players on the back end that you just fear, whether it's a Hedman or McDonough, they're not guys that do it with their fists, but they punish you physically shift after shift. And to me, that makes a difference. You still have to play something of a heavy game to win in the NHL because you're just not going to be able to outscore every team. There has to be an intimidation factor to it. How much do you think they should focus on addressing this at the trade deadline, if anything? And is one or two players, either way, going to make a significant difference in the level of toughness that the Maple Leafs have? Well, that's a great question because to me, I'm not sure that you want to go out and just spend on it because I think the Leafs, especially uh, in the past couple of years, have kind of tried to address that, right? You bring in Wayne Simmons, you bring in, you know, even Kyle Clifford. Like, there are players that, you would typically have played that role in the past. You'd think, well, you know, they're not available in the lineup right now at this point. I mean, Wayne Simmons is, has largely, um, you know, lost that, that footing in the lineup. And it's not just one player to me. Like it, it really is up and down the lineup and you need to have that ethos throughout it. I think it's probably there. I do think though, if when you look at the loss of Jake Muzzin, there's one player to me that you can't replace for the Maple Leafs. What he brought in that way was huge. You know, you look down the ice and you see him, and yeah, this guy's rugged. Okay, we're in one tonight. I do think that the Leafs, if they're trying to bulk up, it to me, whether it's a defender, probably makes a little more sense. You know, you think about a Jake McCabe who could be available and fit that role and play hard minutes, shut down. Again, it's just, it's in your face. It's hard hockey. And again, I don't know if it's one player. I think one player could help, but I think it's also up and down that lineup to just take it upon themselves to say, hey, we're not going to let this happen. We don't have to go, to go out and fight everybody, but we need to let the other team know that, hey, we're here every night and we're going to be in the battle. 
But Austin Matthews leads all forwards and shop blocks. Is that not tough enough for you? <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, that just shows you're getting in lanes. That doesn't, <laughs> there's nobody's intimidated by a guy blocking right. shots. You know, that just means you're willing to flex out and get your shin pads in front of it, which credit to him is awesome. And like, I think people give me a hard time about this with, you know, thinking I don't like Matthews. I love Austin Matthews. That guy's an unbelievable player. It's just, I think he could add an element to his game. I don't know if it's in him though. Like he's, it's six, three, however 200 many pounds he is. I mean, just imagine if he grabbed somebody and, and just beat the wheels off him once, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of my point. It's kind of like Chris Pronger didn't have to fight much in his career because when he did, he hurt people and he was intimidating. And I really think that Matthews could kind of have that element to his game if he wanted to develop it, if it was in him, but it's just, it's just not, I don't think. And it's one of those areas that you always wonder, could it be exploited? Could somebody push him around when you get later into the series? Mm -hmm. And especially in the playoffs, because everything gets tougher and harder and you got to elevate at that level. And sometimes you might, you can't just turn that switch on. So we'll see if the Maple Leafs uh, do address that or if it just becomes something that they naturally grow into. Um, We're going to ask you about the goaltenders now. Obviously, we'll start with Matt Murray because he's the hot topic in the city of Toronto. Uh, the trust issues that might be formulating with the lead, or with the team and the players, the coaching staff and him. Um, I, I believe that the injuries are something that is real. It sounds like a, a tough uh, situation to have two games against your former team that just happen to be late game scratches. But regardless of this, was this is this the evidence that we have now um, in a sample of body with the with the Maple Leafs that this was the Matt Murray that was unfortunately predicted to to be the player that the Maple Leafs got? Well, I mean, I can remember saying when they got him, mm-hmm. there's an injury history here. You have to hope he's available. And I think that when you're talking about Murray, somebody who's been trying to retool his game and uh, and has had great stretches, especially when he first came back from injury this year, he had that seven or eight game run where he was absolutely lights out. And and I think since he's come back down to earth, the hard part is when you're constantly hurt and constantly rehabbing, how can you find any form of consistency when you're just going in waves? You work to get back, you're healthy, then you're hurt again. Your game just never finds a consistency to it. Like, let's say a Connor Hellebuck. He plays all the time, right? Does he have a little bit of ebb and flow to his game? Sure, everybody does. Even as Igor Shishjurk and Ilya Sorokin, some of the best player, goaltenders in the league. But they're available, right? Like, Shishjurkin's been hurt once for 10 games, largely in his career. A couple of little things here and there. When Murray goes out, he tends to be out for two, four, six weeks. That's difficult. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day, is being injury prone a real thing? Yeah, it is. And and unfortunately, whether Murray's been 170 pounds or 200 pounds, he gets hurt. Thankfully, though, for the Leafs, Samson has been fantastic. And Joseph Wall's been really good in the American League. So um, I actually feel pretty bullish right now on the Leafs goaltending at this point, more so than I have in a long time. Uh, and it really has nothing to do with Murray. It has to do with the other two names that I just mentioned. Okay, I want to talk about those a little bit more with you after after this question. And just like the realities of being hurt as a goaltender. Like we know players can play through injury. We've heard of some ghastly things that players have played through in order to build their sort of cult hero status. 
And I'm not suggesting that Matt Murray should be leaning into that, but there seem to be goaltenders who are more willing than others to be involved in the game, to play, to take on starts, to take on challenges when they are not 100%. Now, I'm not like, should be, you know, put putting some in this uh, this category and others in a different category, but just in general, how hard is it to be a goaltender, to perform your duties if you're not 100%? Um, you know, speaking from my own experience and people in Toronto may have witnessed it and granted this was in the American league, um, but playing against the Marlies in the Calder cup finals, 2018, when I was with the Texas stars, I pulled my groin real bad. I mean, really bad. And I did it skating off for the extra attacker of all things, uh, in game three of that series. And I got to tell you, it felt like somebody was just stabbing me in the groin with a chef's knife every time I went down Mm, after that. And, And I mean, it usually it lasted about the whole first period until my body really got warmed up and adrenaline took over. And from there I could kind of manage it. It's not fun, but you can do it. And, and, but it takes a real willingness and it takes a real commitment to it. And I got to tell you, there's not many goalies. I think really have the label of not wanting to play through things. There's a few, I'm not going to name them, but they definitely have that reputation to me. I would not want a goaltender like that. And the reason being is that I think it shows that they're scared to play if they're not at absolutely 100%. How often are you absolutely at 100%? Not very. You got to grind. You got to get through it. And I have no clue. Uh, I mean, like I say, Murray tends to be out for longer stretches. So, like, to me, that's an injury-prone player that just has to deal with it. But the ones that are out day-to-day here and there, and you just think sometimes, guys, will you just step in that cage and play? Like, you can do this, but... It, the fear is there of not being able to perform up to your best ability. And that's, to me, that's not your job. Your job is if you're available, you get in the net and you do the best you can. Yeah, it feels like some of this applies to Matt Murray. The extent of it, I guess, we'd just be speculating. But it, 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 this is what the situation feels like, what you're laying out and what we've been talking about in the market here for the last little while. Thankfully, though, the insurance turned starter, Ilya Samsonov, as you mentioned, is playing at a high level. You said you're bur- bullish on the current situation for the Maple Leafs. What makes you think Ilya Samsonov is for real? His performance is sustainable. What's changed his in his game from his stint with the Washington Capitals to now where he looks like a more competent goaltender and one that can be at a high level for more prolonged stretches? I think for him, it just took a big kick in the pants more than anything. You know, I mean, in Washington kind of had a reputation of you know, not necessarily taking everything as serious as you needed to, you know, you got to show up and work every day and that's practice. You know, that's your habits, that's your details. That's what comes, that's what comes through in what you do in games is how hard and how diligent you are uh, during practice days. And it's a big shock when you're a first round draft pick, that's supposed to be the franchise goalie and you get let go basically for nothing. And you look at all your countrymen, Look at Andre Vasilevsky, who's, just, who's on a big ticket down there in Florida. Look at Ilya Sorokin, who's going to sign a big contract, be a franchise guy. Shostyorkin. You know, these are, this is what Samsonov should have been to the Capitals. And he wasn't able to grab it. And for me, it's just because he was sloppy in a lot of his play. Now, with the Leafs, I think this year he's been a little bit crisper, but he's also got a lot of swag to his game, right? You can tell he's feeling it. And when he's on, he tracks pucks well. Um, he's naturally athletic. He, he's got intangibles that you can't give goaltenders. If there's anything that is still there, he is still not as crisp as some of the other goalies in the league. He tends to slide into shots. He tends to get nervous and drop early. Those are the detriments to his game. But I haven't seen them as often this year because I think, you know, number one, 
a new look and a new goalie coach with Curtis Sanford probably helped him to just be able to retool a little bit. And I think realistically he knows, Hey, I got to work for this. Like I got a Stanley cup winner next to me in the net. There was no guarantees when he came in, he's on a low level contract for an NHL goaltender. Samson, Samsonov is so, you know, he knew he's got to work because if he wants to stick around the league, guess what? You got to be better than your goalie partner. That's what it comes down to. So I think he's hungry. I think he's realized that, man, this is the National Hockey League, and it's no joke. I better, I better bring it this year. And I think he's also had had some pretty good help from Curtis Sanford. What does Curtis Sanford bring out of Ilya Samsonov? Obviously, he had the tools, and maybe it was the situation that didn't allow for him to thrive. But as a goalie coach, what kind of like technical things have you seen that maybe Curtis Sanford can take some credit for um, in terms of elevating Samsonov this season? Well, I, ha- I don't think it's been a complete overhaul of Samsonov's game at all. And, you know, without speaking to Curtis, which I, I haven't, I, I'm not sure the exact details that they're probably working on. But I think what the biggest value you get is that you look at, you look at your coach in Sanford and you go, man, this guy's been there and done this. Like, this guy's played a lot of NHL games. He had a really long pro career. He played through four different leagues, ECHL, AHL, NHL, went to Russia for a few years. I think he can speak goalie very well with Samsonov. Now, from a technical side, really the biggest thing I've seen is that Samsonov has been pretty consistent in his depth. In Washington, he'd be all over the place. He'd be a foot outside his crease. Then he'd, then some games he'd get nervous and he'd slink back at the goal line. I think he's even that out a lot this year. He's played kind of at a three-quarters depth, top paint. And, and to me, it may seem like a simple adjustment, but consistency in where you are in your positioning, it gives you a backbone. And it lets you know where your eyes need to be at all times. So if that's what they focused on is simply depth, I think that's a piece of it. Um, because to me, that's just let Samsonov be a little bit crisper in what he does. And again, he's still searching for it. He still slides a little bit more than I like. He's still a little bit nervous on his edges. But at least if you're at a similar depth that you have been most of the year, you know where home base is. And you know how to get back to the middle of the net where most of the pucks go in. Let's say that Matt Murray is out for a longer period of time than expected. We see after the All-Star break, he's going to get reevaluated. Worst case scenario, we don't see him for a while. Well, Joseph Wall has definitely stepped up in the AHL for the Marlies this year. He's going to possibly get an opportunity with the Maple Leafs. What do we know about Joseph Wall and his game and what's been so successful for him um, with the AHL this year? Yeah, well, Wall's, I mean, more than anything, Wall has now been healthy. He started the year not healthy. Well, now he is again. And it's been a real battle for him. You know, the past several years, I don't think he's been able to gain any traction um, just because of health. And anytime you're trying to break into professional hockey and your body's not there, um, first it's worrisome because you don't know if your prospect's ever going to be able to hit the ceiling. Uh, But from the personal standpoint, you just wonder, man, I'm working, I'm working. When am I going to get rewarded? Well, I think Joseph did a nice job in his stint with the Leafs last season when he was up. Um, Obviously, he went 3-1, and which is a, a good sign for the future. But I really was looking for him to dominate the American Hockey League. And this year, he's only played 13 games, but it's been a great sample size. Last year was very good as well. So, you know, for me, you've got a technically strong goaltender who's he has a great natural athleticism to him. Uh, but the biggest strength that Joseph Wall has, he's incredibly intelligent. I've known him since he was probably 12 years old, growing up in the St. Louis area, having coached him, been on the ice with him. He can process information at a rate that, is very uncommon and you get to the higher levels it's more common there but when he was young he was head and shoulders above everyone and that's what led him to go to the u.s national team on to boston college 
Um, so I think for him, it's just been about health. Like I say, his technical side's there. He reads well, um, but he's very, very smart. So any feedback that he's going to get from the goalie coaches, he'll be able to translate that on the ice. And I mean, I think his, his career arc, he will be an NHL goalie. I believe he's capable of that if his body holds out. Um, but that's the biggest question mark. We probably moved past this with the uh, unreliable nature of Matt Murray at current moment and the breakout performance of Ilya Samsonov. But we were talking to Kevin, Kevin Woodley probably about a month ago, maybe maybe three, four weeks, uh, and he was mentioning the, uh, the chance that, hey, maybe they go with two goaltenders in a playoff and you're, you're not running one into the ground, but instead you're playing both. Do you think in theory a two-goaltender tandem can work in a playoff series, be it a short run or even a long one? No, oh, we've seen it before. I mean, it worked with Matt Murray and Mark Andre Fleury. So maybe, and that's kind of a, it's kind of a misnomer though, because realistically, they took over for one another in the yeah, net. Yeah, that's you know, passing it, the baton, right? Like not going back and forth. That part is true, but I think there's some validity though that not playing all the games over the course of a two-month period can help. You know, there's truth to that. If you ask me, um, I, I'm not sure that going to a a straight up rotation is a great idea. I don't love that idea. I think you have to gauge whether your goaltender is physically and mentally capable of being able to play night in night out. And I do worry in a market like Toronto, when people just start going bananas about goalies, if, if you're just flipping back and forth, Oh man, it's going to create a lot of noise. So it's, it's kind of a, you can't really win in Toronto with goalies, honestly. And I don't mean on the ice. I mean, when it comes to the fan, (laughs) the fan belief on it, right? Like nobody's good enough until you win that Stanley cup, which is a tall task. Um, I'm not sure I see it happening. I I do really believe still the old soul in me that once you get your guy, you run with them until he can't run anymore. The key though, you can't run until it's too late. If you got to make a change, you got to do it at the right time. And I think those spans, maybe you play two or three games in a row. That I could see happening with the Maple Leafs. But a straight-up rotation or a two-to-one ratio, I'd be very surprised by that. Well, we're past the halfway mark, maybe around 60% of the season in the books. Um, Looking at the body of works we've seen across the league, and Lena Solmark is the runaway favorite right now in the Vesna Trophy. But I wonder who you target as the highest-performing netminder in the league right now when given the environment, the success the numbers, when you look at the whole big picture, the entire body of work across the league, who do you think stands out as the best goaltender in the league this season? It's Elias Sorokin for me. And that's not to take anything away from Linus Allmark, who's been fantastic for Boston. Um, you can look at Connor Hellebuck and what he's done in Winnipeg. I think he's trailed off lately. Um, that's kind of hurt his case. But, I mean, to me, Sorokin, with a team that just cannot score in front of him, I mean, he's had a span where earlier this year he allowed one goal or less in five or ten games. He didn't even win all of them. You know, I mean, that's just stupid for a goalie. Like, you should be pulling off wins nonstop like that. So they give up a decent amount. He's the rock of that team. There is a delta between him and, and Semyon Varlamov, his goalie partner in Long Island. Their numbers aren't terribly different. Um, but I think that Sorokin, for me, is really structurally – game management, everything. He's the guy I think has been at the top. Um, the advanced numbers support it. The traditional numbers support it. Um, and again, it's just, it's really tough to take it away from Allmark because his numbers are so high, right? A nine, three, six save percentage is, is otherworldly. Um, but Sorokin's right there. And I tell you what, here's your sleeper pick though. If the Nashville Predators somehow make it into the playoffs, you might as well hand the Vezina to UC Saros because mm-hmm. he's been stealing games for that team left and right. 
Well, we always do a betting segment on the show, so we'll have to circle the futures for him. Justin's eyes already just opened big time. I think we already gave that out, Ailish. I think we already gave it out. Uh, There you go. I'll take the royalty check. All right, yeah, we'll send it to you. Uh, Mike, just got to say, Appleton Arena was my favorite road rink to play in, so you were lucky to get to have four years there. Thank you. And you know what happened this past weekend? The St. Lawrence University men's ice hockey team mm-hmm. swept the Clarkson Golden hey, Knights. That's huge. Oh, yep. my God. I so, always loved that rivalry, too. Yep. Route 11 rivalry. That hadn't happened since 2005 when the goaltender for the St. Lawrence Skating Saints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey, you're talking to him. But yeah. in any case, that was... Uh, <laughs> It was really cool. It was a good weekend for the program. Awesome. Well, that's my second, uh, my well, my second favorite rink in the ECAC was that guy. So appreciate it. Um, well, I, got, I got to get back and watch uh, both of our, our squads go head to head. Appreciate it, Mike. We'll chat with you down the road. Thanks for all the insight today. Sounds good. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, analyst for dailyfaceoff.com and host of SiriusXM NHL Network Radio, breaking down a couple of his articles that he's written about the Maple Leafs and his thoughts on... That goaltending carousel that we see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely is insight on the goal. Like, insight everywhere. The, the soft mm-hmm. stuff is, it, it's still a thing. It's going to be a thing that exists until the Maple Leafs prove that they are not soft in the postseason, right? And I, it, mm-hmm. again, it's what what your definition is, right? It's, are you hard to play against? Are you mean? Are you bullies? Whatever. It, I don't know if that means what it means exactly, but the Maple Leafs still have to prove that they can overcome the changes to the game from regular season to postseason. And I think the soft word is like a word that triggers people, but there is validity to, hey, you've got to play a certain way. It's more difficult. You have to overcome more like in the people playoffs. Think we're toughness still waiting for is that. dropping the gloves and punching people in the face. The game just gets harder. And I think that's the toughness. That's right. That's the softness. That's the important stuff. Uh, speaking of soft, it's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Aaron, it's an interesting segue. Aaron Rodgers? You calling him soft? I don't know. Just trying to segue here. Okay. It's well, tough, go on. It's a tough Explain. role sometimes. Um, Aaron Rodgers made his weekly appearance on the Pat McAfee show on Tuesday. We talked about this yesterday or Monday about where the legendary quarterbacks may fall. 39-year-old quarterback said he's hoping to reach a decision regarding his future within the next couple of weeks. Now, we talked about this in the sense of the Packers – feeling like they want to move on from him. And that was a a rumor. And he addressed that yesterday on the show. It sounds like there's already conversations going on that aren't involving me, which are interesting. Honestly, I've been insulated to a lot of that. Uh, I'm not a part of those conversations right now. When I make up my mind one way or another, then uh, you guys and Packers, not in that order, but... And everybody else will uh, will know at some point. Seems like a little bit of a disconnect. They're having conversations and I'm not really a part of it. And when I make my decision, you'll know. Isn't there too much money on the table for him to not play football? Yeah, I think so. And uh, it seems like the Packers could, eh, yeah, we might want to start over. We want to start anew. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then you look around the league, the Jets, the 49ers could use a quarterback now. Like, who are they going to be rolling out under center to start? Tom Brady's still out there. I guess Vegas needs. I mean, there's too many positions where he could land and too much money for him to make to not play football next year. But again, because it's Aaron Rodgers, we're going to be strung along all throughout the uh, spring and into the summer, probably. Soft as in soft rumors. Just soft launching the idea that there might be... You found the connection. There might be some 
tension between the clubs. Um, also, his teammate joined a who is it? Romeo Dobbs. Is that what we're talking yes, about? Yes, he joined a radio show where it kind of alluded that he's not really his favorite teammate or not really a great teammate. Not putting words in his mouth, but anyway. Rogers addressed those as well. Go listen to the podcast and said that I'm not a bad teammate. So Romeo Dubs might not be the greatest teammate in that he can't really get himself open and catch the football. <laughs> Maybe there's basis. that relationship between them that's tense. Okay, uh, we have Ben Nicholson Smith on the other side of the break. Let's talk about Chad Green and the Toronto Blue Jays' newest acquisition, who's going to have a little bit of a Tommy John surgery recovery throughout the start of the season, but we most likely and hopefully will see him post-All-Star break. What's he bring to this team? And let's break down that wild contract that's next on the fan morning show diving deep into leaps raptors jays and nfl the jd bunkers podcast subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show. Justin and Ailish, Sportsnet 590, the fan. It's been a while since we had some Blue Jays talk, but they sure brought out a lot of things to unpack yesterday. No one better than Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host of At The Letters Podcast. How's it going this morning, Ben? It's going great. I was just reminded by your producer, Daniele, that uh, it is now the month of February, which means we are officially in spring training territory here within a couple of weeks. Yes, it's around the corner. The sun starts shining for longer here in the city of Toronto. Gets a little warmer down in uh, Dunedin. They don't have to worry about that too much. But yes, it is around the corner. We're very excited about that. And especially because there's some Blue Jays action happening. And let's start with that. Chad Green contract. So obviously they bring in right-hand pitcher Chad Green, two-year, $8.5 million contract. Now, if you read that, you're like, great, got that. But then you look at the contract structure, and I don't know if you uh, know the Michael Scott phrase, explain this to me like I'm five, but I need you to do such a thing for us. The breakdown of the contract, have you ever seen something like this before? Um, no, I haven't <laughs> because it's um, it's definitely a unique structure. So Essentially, how it works is he will be paid for the 2023 season. He's already on the Toronto Blue Jays roster. And likely, he comes back late in the season. He pitches um, toward the end of the year for the Jays. Depending on how that goes, this could go three different ways. And it starts with with a decision for the Jays. They can choose to exercise a three-year option. That is the first decision that has to happen if they pick that up. He's a Blue Jay for three years. If they don't, then Green himself gets access to a player option for one year. And if both of those choices are declined, then the Blue Jays have another option, this time for two years. So it's pretty complicated, but (laughs) basically they just go back and forth getting the chance to choose on those options. Okay, the first two options seem very, very reasonable, mm-hmm. right? A little safeguard for that. both. You you know, if the Blue Jays love what they see, and hopefully they do, they can lock him up four years. That's all good. And if things don't really go well, <laughs> at least there's a little insurance there for Chad Green. But the, the third option, the two, like how would, mm-hmm. how would they ever arrive at the third option? Uh, I think it would be more of a middle ground where if the Jays like but don't love what they see and Green, uh, you know, ends up declining his, 
it's probably a low percentage chance that it gets to that third option. It's probably a way for the Jays to get back a little bit of um, value uh, in the deal and make it work for them. I I always kind of like these deals that are a bit creative, even if it's pretty unlikely that you get to that final outcome. It's kind of like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books where it's like, if you want to take the left door, turn to page 16. If you want to take the right door, turn to page 80. Um, It's extremely interesting, and I think that Blue Jays fans will be, I I guess, having their eyes on what post-All-Star break when he seems to be maybe penciled in. I know he's recovering from Tommy John surgery in June. Um, Is that kind of the rough plan in your perspective? Let him get this prep, let him get this recovery in, and then maybe he's that All-Star break boost that the Blue Jays might even have been looking to add, uh, depending on how the season goes anyway. Yeah, I think that timeline's really fair. I mean, each case is, is different, and so you never know for sure until you're right there. But I, I think, broadly speaking, you know, 12 to 18 months is the time period for recovery for Tommy John. So, you know, next July, that's 13 months away. Um, and, and he's a reliever, so it's a different rehab process. He doesn't have to get stretched out to 75, 90 pitches the way that someone like Hyunjin Ryu will. Um, and Ryu had Tommy John the exact same month as as Green. But for him, it, it's easy to imagine that it could take longer because he'll be trying to come back as a starting pitcher. So maybe you tack on another six weeks for Ryu, where Green, as soon as he can command the ball and you know recover between outings reasonably well, then it's not like you have to get him stretched out. So, yeah, I think midseason is a fair timeline, and he really could be a big addition. He's been a really good major league believer. I mean, I'm sure... A lot of our listeners have watched him for the Yankees um, over the course of the past six, seven years. And you know him as someone who gets a lot of strikeouts, um, really doesn't allow a lot of damage in the form of walks or home runs. And that's a great reliever to have on your team and definitely the kind of guy that you'd be looking to add midseason. Uh, all things go according to plan. Blue Jays go to the playoffs. It's night one of the postseason where does Chad Green come in? Where where did they expect this guy to, what role did they expect him to fill in that bullpen? I would think pretty high leverage. And their bullpen, honestly, you know, it's, it's uh, a long way off, but th- they have a chance to have a really good bullpen once he's back. And, you know, you look at Jordan Romano and Jimmy Garcia and Anthony Bass, the guys that we saw last uh, season for this team, of course, Tim Mesa from the left side. Then you add in Swanson, you add in Chad Green, potentially late in the season. This really should be or, or could be um, a, a very, very good bullpen. So he could be someone who handles leverage. But again, when you have that many arms on paper uh, who can contribute in those situations, then maybe you're talking about someone who's pitching in the fifth inning and getting you know, a, a starting pitcher out of a big spot. But he's someone that, when healthy, you would definitely have him on your playoff roster. So there's a potential there for the bullpen to be, as you put it, really, really good. Um, and I love this gamble. I mean, I think it shows some ingenuity. I think it's really smart to go after a guy who's been one of the most consistent and, and quality relievers in Major League Baseball for a while. So you love the gamble, but I feel like they are gambling a little bit with that section of their roster. They're gambling a little bit with the bullpen. I don't know if Eric Swanson is a known qual- quantity yet. I don't know if... If Chad Green's going to be the same pitcher when he comes back from Tommy John, are they leaving a little bit too much to the unknown with their bullpen in such a key aspect of team building this year? Uh, I don't think so, personally. I think that almost every team is going to have some amount of uncertainty in the bullpen. Um, and, 
you know, to, to build around a group of Romano and Meza and Garcia and Bass guys that aren't dealing with, you know, known health issues at this point. Um, you've got a strong, a strong uh, starting point, and then you can add some guys, even Swanson. I mean, health-wise, he's going to be um, ready to go as far as we're aware. So you start with health. Um, you obviously look at the track record, look at the projections. This looks like a really good group. And, you know, there's um, maybe bullpens out there that uh, would would have uh, maybe a, a second and third reliever that are, are more automatic um, than what you'd get in Toronto. But I don't see a lot of bullpens in baseball that project to be a lot better than this. So I, I think they're in a good spot bullpen-wise, although they certainly have questions elsewhere on the roster. Uh, two last things on this. Were you surprised that Matt Gage was DFA'd um, in, uh, in a corresponding move to make some room? And were there other people interested in um, the addition of, of Chad Green, or was this just like an undercover sneaky move that the Blue Jays made? Yeah, the, the Gage one is, is interesting. I thought that he was someone who had a chance to um, contribute. Anytime you're talking about a lefty reliever, then you know you're usually just one or two injuries away from really being in the majors. Um, so uh, you know Gage obviously off the roster for now, but the Jays have had to trim some pretty interesting players from that 40 man this off season, including Julian Merriweather. Um, we've seen him, you know Anthony Kay, some guys that have looked like fixtures, um, and then Gage is is the next on that list. So yeah, that's. That's a, a bit of a shift. And, and sorry, Ailish, remind me the second part of your question. Uh, if other people were interested in adding Chad Green or did the Blue Jays like kind of uncover something that was uh, not being talked about? Yeah, I well, without having heard from Green on that one, um, and hopefully we do hear from him soon, um, don't know the details on that yet. But, I, you know, you look at a reliever of his caliber, there's no doubt that other teams are interested. It's the kind of deal, we see this periodically, whether it's, um, Ken Giles had one a couple of years ago. A lot of the time, guys coming back from Tommy John surgery end up signing this kind of deal. And so there are templates in place contract-wise, although this is definitely covering some new territory on that front. But, you know, the two-year deal in the neighborhood of $10 million, we've seen many deals like that for pitchers before. And it's a, a deal where the team, yes, they're taking on risk, but there has been, and I know folks like Eno Saras have studied this, there is something along the lines of a Tommy John honeymoon period where in the immediate aftermath of getting that surgery, there's usually a period of 12 months, maybe a bit longer than that, where the injury risk is actually lower. So if you're a team looking to bolster your bullpen, you see a guy who's 31 years old coming back from a surgery that, yes, it's, it's a long and difficult recovery process, but the success rate is very high there. So that gives Green, I think, a bit less risk than um, maybe it might appear at first glance, and I'm sure other teams did have interest. Okay, you mentioned it, Ben. Uh, It is February, which means you're probably heading to Dunedin soon. When are you going? And as you prepare to embark on a uh, warm-weather climate, uh, what's your biggest unknown question, point of intrigue, as as you, uh, you think and prepare more for Blue Jays spring training? Yeah, pretty wild. I'm going down. Yeah, later this month at this point, which is um, which is great toward the end of February, and um, coordinating with the other the other baseball coverage people to to line all of that up um, and and make sure that we're down there to cover spring, which should be really a lot of fun. Really interesting year ahead for this Jays team. Um, with you know, this is the 
a huge chance for this organization, for Vladdy, for Bo. There's a ton at stake, so it's going to be a really interesting year to observe. And I think for spring, you know, the, the first challenge for this team, to put it really broadly, is to get through spring as healthy as possible. And then the second challenge is to win their first game of the season and kind of keep rolling from there. Like, it's, it's a situation at this point where the Jays are as a team where probably more things can go wrong than right in spring. But, of course, you love to see, whether it's a Ricky Tiedemann, whether it's a Spencer Horowitz or Addison Barger, there are prospects that could really impress. There are players who are off the 40-man roster who are trying to make the team who can be a really good story. But, you know, you know, we remember Ghost Kato from last year, and we remember, you know, some of those prospects who come up and, you know, Rowdy Telez their way through a spring. And ultimately, it really is about the core, core group. That's about keeping those guys healthy and seeing where they're at. So it's, it's more going to be determined by the Matt Chapman, Jose Barrios, and Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s and it will, you know, Nathan Lucas, all due respect to those, uh, you know, just off the fringes of the 40-man roster who are trying to be a great story. It's, yeah, this is a team that's meant to win now, so they need their stars. Be a lot of new faces uh, down there at spring training with uh, a pretty sizable overhaul that includes players and coaches. Um, is there an introduction that you're looking forward to? I know you mentioned Chad Green. You want to look, or you're looking forward to hearing from him. But is there is there uh, you know face to the name someone that you want to meet, uh, pick their brain down there in Dunedin? A lot of a lot of people for sure. You know, one who comes to mind is Don Mattingly. Just you think about uh, his. Uh, his long career in pinstripes and obviously more recently with the Marlins, but it'll be a different look to see him in, in Blue Jays gear and to hear about, uh, you know, what it is that he's hoping to offer to this team and, and uh, really see him start to interact with the players. I, I think that in a way will be the, the a bigger shock than, you know, seeing Chris Bassett in a Blue Jays uniform. I mean, I think we'll get used to that pretty quickly, but for me, at least seeing Don Mattingly in a Jays uniform, will probably, probably have a double take or two the first couple of times I see that. Uh, last one for you, Ben, before I let you go. We haven't spoken since the new Rogers Center dimensions were officially announced. Um, new outfield layout and the wall heights have, now we know the numbers. Uh, what what do you make of the way that this will be, will affect both sides of either the Blue Jays offense or defense? Um, and was it kind of what you expected or anything surprise you? I mean, there are a lot of, a lot more sort of uh, nooks and crannies to that outfield than I might have anticipated just with the difference in wall height from you know left field 14 feet to center field it's eight feet so left field no one's robbing a home run ever <laughs> at that height and then in center field you know eight feet that's pretty easy to rob a home run at that point so you can basically just reach up and, and grab the ball um depending on on the height of the of the home run so you know i think that that's going to be a real difference for those of us who have watched a lot of games at Rogers Center over the years is just having that difference in height, having those difference in dimensions. I, I have no idea how it's going to play. I, I think I could certainly imagine that those power alleys could make it a more hitter-friendly place, um, but we'll see. So I'm, I'm definitely curious to see that um, in play starting in, yeah, I mean, they, it's early April now, so really – Coming up on on that chance to see uh, see the Jays play at their new home. Ben, is there such thing as a Dunedin delicacy? Like, is there some sort of food spot, something that you're looking forward <laughs> to uh, diving back into when Looney you get down dogs? there? dogs? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, there's a great Mexican restaurant. I think it's called Casatina. I'm sure some of our listeners have been there. 
Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a great one in Dunedin. Um, it's also, Dunedin's also like a very uh, dog-friendly place, so I'm always reminded, like I always kind of forget, and then I get there and there are like dogs everywhere. It's actually, Dunedin, Florida is quite a nice place, so it's, um, it'll be nice to get back there. There's your road trip, Ailish. I was going to say, I'm, just, I'm getting a puppy in about five weeks, so maybe I'll just have to bring him down to Dunedin and let him run around, meet some faces. <laughs> it's a Mexican trip. You can't leave the puppy alone, so bring the puppy down to Dunedin. Right Sounds good. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning, Ben. Thanks for the breakdown on the newest Blue Jay, and we'll chat with you soon. Enjoy your trip. Okay, thanks a lot. Look forward to it. Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and host of At The Letters Podcast. Okay, so uh, something I scrolled by this morning, little uh, little hair-raising oh. moment as I scrolled by a report out of New Zealand that Canadian men's soccer coach John Herman, it says has agreed to be the next coach of the All Whites, which is the New Zealand soccer team. If you dive into the article, there's mm-hmm. no such agreement. There's no a like clickbaity, I'll tell you. Yeah, that. a little clickbaity. However, it's worth mentioning because John Herdman's future is obviously something that we have been we're speculating over after the World Cup. It feels like maybe a negotiation tactic where it's like, well, New Zealand's willing to pay me this. What's what's up, Soccer Canada? Uh, so uh, it's just I don't know if there's anything to it yet, but something we have to monitor. Maybe the situation is coming to a head, coming to a boil. Not really sure. Would be disappointing. Well, I don't know if it would be disappointing. We talked about like, the pros and cons of John Herdman at but the. Would it be surprising? No. Well, we we always kind of knew, and even before, it's like, oh, he's gonna try to go for an English job if he like. There was always the like, okay, what does what does Herdman want next? Going to a lesser soccer nation would be a very interesting move from him, given that hey, you're going to the World Cup for sure in 2026 if you stick around. But if the money's not there for Herdman, maybe that's the most important thing. So that's something to monitor looking forward. John Herdman's future is uh, come to the fore again here. And just to, to directly quote from Andrew Gordy of News Hub New Zealand, he says he's a preferred candidate and was 100% on board to take up the role before a personal situation put it on hold. Wouldn't comment specifically on that, but he's a clear top pick and that he had agreed to terms, but it is not like the way it's worded there's lots of room for, well, I didn't specifically say that it was fully guaranteed, but he had had the conversation. And anyway, you have to wait to see for sure. This is the one report. No one in North America has said anything yet, but keep an eye on it because it's worded appropriately for speculation. Yeah, and and we were speculating over Herdman's future. We were also speculating over, you know, how real Canada soccer was, how much we trust them to make the right moves. Maybe letting John Herman go is the right move. Maybe not spending all that money on him is the right move, but they better be legitimate or they better be real about who they're bringing in and what they're doing because these four years, as we talked about, are extremely important. Getting the right competition, getting the right coaching, being ready for 2026 because there needs to be an improvement uh, based on what we saw in Qatar. All right, well, maybe we'll break that down if it happens later today, but if there's any news, you'll hear it here. John Herbin, the soccer show. <laughs> On the other side of the break, we got Pete Blackburn, NHL correspondent at Bali Sports. We got the Maple Leafs facing off against the Boston Bruins tonight at 7.30 at home. Um, I know the Bruins fan base really wanted Bo Horvat. Our condolences to Pete, who probably we'll, we'll have... comfort Pete. We'll comfort Pete at, in the 8 o'clock hour. I don't hour know if here. they need comforting. He might. Well, the Bruins are rolling in on the biggest losing streak of their season, so maybe he will be in it. 
upset mood. Can't wait to find out. That's next on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Eilish.